Good morning, everybody. We're in the middle of a series of sermons which is called Extravagant Something. And today, we're going to talk about extravagant generosity. Extravagant generosity. And it's only right that we begin when we're talking about extravagant generosity with the extravagant generosity of God towards us. That's why I asked the band to sing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross because that puts everything else that we're talking about into context. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all of my pride. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, it says, While we were still weak, at just the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good man one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we had been good, it would have been generous of Jesus to die for us. But actually, we were sinners. We were dead in our transgressions. It's extravagant generosity that God has towards us. Extravagant generosity. And, and with everything else that I'm going to talk about <coughs> later on, let's just keep that in mind. It's the extravagant generosity of God towards us through Jesus dying on the cross so that we could have access to God, we could be adopted into his family, we could be brought into a community, we could be seated with him in the heavenly places, and so on, and so on, and so on. It's a magnificent chapter in, in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, which starts off, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That's not just a few that's every spiritual blessing. And now, I'm tempted to kind of go off and to go through that whole passage and talk about all of those. That would be an entirely different sermon, and we've probably all heard that before. But let's just remember, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing through Jesus in the heavenly places. When we were having our prayer meeting upstairs, there was... Uh, Ron brought a, a prophetic word and he said, you have all the resources you need. It's just like you're running on a prepaid meter and that meter is full. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through the extravagant generosity of God. So what is our response to that. Well, our response is contained in the last verse of that amazing hymn. That were the whole realm of nature mine, that would be an offering that would be far too small. Love that's so amazing, so divine, 
that demands my soul, my life, and my all. God has been so extravagantly generous to us that we could never, ever hope to repay him. But actually, praise God, he doesn't ask us to. When Chris is running the Alpha course, about now, about a few weeks in, what she says is, there starts to be a, a realization among the people who are coming along that actually this isn't just about a set of beliefs that we subscribe to, but there's actually a reality and that demands a response. And what is our response? As I thought about it, I thought there's really there are three levels of response when we start to think about the extravagant generosity of Jesus on the cross, of when Jesus comes into our life. The first is gratitude. We're suddenly so thankful about what Jesus has done for us. And that starts to have an effect in our lives. In Luke chapter 19, um, there's the story of Zacchaeus. And after um, Zacchaeus, Jesus has said to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Um, Zacchaeus, who was an outcast in society because he was a collaborator with the occupying Romans. And he said, he was so grateful. He said, look, half of my goods I'm going to give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'm going to restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this household. It was the response of Zacchaeus. He was so grateful that that spurred him into action. The second uh, aspect is trust. Once we start to realize how much God is for us, well, this song we were singing about, he's our father, we're his child, he's good to us, he's so good to us, he's so good to us. We begin to realize that we can trust in him. One of the earlier songs said, you can be trusted in all of your ways. All of your ways. And that's not just nice fluffy words and nice nice comforting feelings, it's actually practical where the rubber hits the road in daily life. There's a verse we're going to come back to a little bit later, but in Philippians it says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply every need of yours according to his riches. It's not according to our response, it's not according to, to whether we've had our quiet time this week, but it's, it's, he's going to uh, supply all of our needs according to his riches. And I want to just tell a little story of how, in not so long ago, I, we, I experienced that. As many of you know, a couple of years ago, Chris and I, went to Japan for a year and we were needing somewhere to live and 
well, you would think it's easy. You just go to an estate agent and you find somewhere. Well, when we went to our local estate agent, they were so embarrassed by the fact that there were non-Japanese people that they possibly wouldn't be able to speak perfect English. They just disappeared into the back room. We could hear them giggling away and being too scared to come and talk to us. So we decided, well, let's go via the internet instead. And we put out lots of inquiries. One person got back to us. She showed us three flats and we chose one of them. We had that need and we didn't have the capacity to speak the language and do all of the things. But God had supplied our needs according to his riches. He'd gone before us and he supplied that need. That's a practical need. We'll be talking about other sorts of needs later on. So when we consider the extravagant generosity of of Jesus towards us. First of all, it's gratitude, and then it's trust, and then it moves to generosity. And that's where we're going to be spending most of the time today. Now, when we think about generosity, the first thing that might come to mind is money. And yes, we are going to talk about money, but actually, generosity is about much, much, much more than money. It's about time. It's about energy. It's about love. There was, um, for the first, I don't know, ten years or more that I was a Christian, first of all, I was a student, and then I didn't have a job. I didn't have very much money. But in those days, I was young. I had lots more energy than I had now. I also had lots more time. And so, in those days, I was able to be generous to people with my energy and with my time. Now, I don't have so much energy. And I certainly don't have so much time. But fortunately, I have more money, so I can be generous in that way. Everybody here has something that they can be generous with. It could be that you're retired and you're not in good health, but you have time. And even if you can't go to people, people can come to you or you can spend time praying for people or whatever. There is time that you have. It may be that you're a student and you feel like you have no time, but I can assure you, you do. (laughs) But you certainly have energy. I know that you have energy because the students who live in the house next to us and up and down our street, I can hear them every evening having energy. And it may be that you're at home looking after young children and you say, I haven't got any energy and it feels like I haven't got any time. But in fact, you actually have time that you can spend with people with your children. And we, there are many stories I know of people in this room who, when they were in that situation, another mother with young children reached out to them and people became Christians as a result. One of my stories about generosity, and this, for me, this is my, the bar that I set for generosity. 29 years ago, Chris and I moved 
to the United States 29 years ago in about two weeks. This was just before Christmas. We had very little money. I'm going to talk a little bit about the money then. We were arriving into a new country. We knew nobody. We went along to a church twice. Once was carol singing in a, in a veteran's home. Once was actually a proper uh, group. But the people in that house group, they were so generous towards us. They had only met us twice. We got given a Christmas tree with lights, baubles, everything, which we weren't even asking for, but they had just said, oh, these, these people moving across, they, they can't have this. Chris was very disappointed because she really likes Christmas trees. She likes lights and baubles. I'm a bit indifferent, but she really likes it. And we suddenly got this gift. That was the beginning. We got invited round to their house on Christmas Day and, and welcomed into the family. And then when we needed to move into a new flat and we had no furniture, they lent us the furniture for an entire apartment. We had met, we'd been along to church a couple of times before that. Right? If somebody comes in in two weeks' time and comes along to your MCOM and maybe goes out carol singing with you or whatever you do, is that the level of generosity you would... I don't think it's the level of generosity I would have but actually they were so generous to me at that time that's my bar that's where I see generosity being so money money is one of the ways where we can actually quantify our generosity It's the testing ground of all that we profess when we talk about God's goodness and our trust in him. In James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? It's not about what we say, necessarily, but it's actually about what we do. And money is probably one of the hardest areas for us in our Western society to actually put that into practice. It wouldn't be a sermon in a manual without a reference to Acts chapter 2, especially for Alan. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And a couple of chapters later, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, as I was thinking about that, somehow when I first read that years ago, I had this sort of image of a sort of a lowest common denominator, uh, meal rotors and have you cleaned the bathroom and uh, and it really felt like a bit kind of, oh, but actually as I thought about it now and in this context, actually we, if we're generous to one another, you don't think actually that's my something, you're generous and 
and we want to share with one another. Some of us have more of some things, others have less, but actually together we have everything that we need and we can bless one another so that we can all work together. Another myth I want to bust is giving isn't about how much you give in absolute terms. There's a well-known story in Luke 21 of Jesus watching all of the rich putting in their big, fat checks into the offering, or if they probably didn't have checks in those days, but let's just imagine they did. And then one poor widow putting in two copper coins. And Jesus said, look at her. All of those rich people have been giving out of, their general, out of their riches, out of what they can afford. She's putting in all she has, and that's a, gener- a declaration of faith. So it's not about whether you can put in gasquillions into the offering, although if you can, I'm sure that we will be very grateful. But actually, it's a measure of how much you're trusting in Jesus and how that's reflected in what you give. If you go out into the lobby there by the doors, you possibly all of you walk past it many times, framed on the wall are some coins and some notes, which is Indian currency, it's in rupees, and it's probably worth a couple of quid. In, to, in, our, in total gen- but actually this was co- collected from a village in Gujarat and when they heard that we were 10 years ago wanting to, to convert this building they wanted to contribute to this and we could, have done, we could have actually changed the money and put an extra couple of pounds into the offering and it would have just been lost but to us that seemed to be a sacrifice that they were making and we wanted to actually record and honour that sacrifice so that money is still there framed on the wall to say that we are partners with people around the world in extending God's kingdom and we are gratefully receiving even something that has very little monetary value to us. So let's, let's kind of drill down a little bit. What do we believe that the Bible teaches about giving and money? Well, uh, there's a whole, I could do a whole sermon on this, and, and if you want to go to Ian's Church Life course, he will doubtless tell you about this. But there's two aspects. There's tithing and offering. Every week... We say the, tithe, the, the, the trays will go round for the tithes and the offerings. And some people, maybe if you're visitors, perhaps don't understand what's going on here. So, so tithe is something that goes back through the Old Testament. It easily predates the law, even though the, the Old Testament law, there's, there's a lot of details in that. And that's giving of 10% of what we, uh, we earn. And that is what... In some sense, that's part of the deal. When you're a Christian and you give control over your money, that 10% is part of the deal. 
When I was first a Christian, I was in a different church which didn't actually um, preach on tithing. I had a student grant at the time. Those were the days. And so when my grant check came in, I put aside 10% of it and I, set, and I opened a building society account. That was my, my God account, so I said. And I put 10% in there. And then every week I drew out money from that and I put it in the collection at church because that was the only way mechanism that I had. Fortunately, as Jenny will tell you, our treasurer, we have more sophisticated mechanisms than that. But then a few years later, I came into a church like this and suddenly my revelation increased because I learned about it's not just tithes. It's also offerings that we, that there's basically part of the deal is the 10%, but then out of what, what else we have, there's extravagant generosity. It's over and above and we give offerings every week. A few years after that, I can remember going to some teaching where there was quite a challenging teaching from, from a, a speaker who was saying, well, why stop at 10% for your tithe? And he was talking about tithing at 20% or 30% and even he'd said he got up to 90% at some point. Now, I think that's way above what most of us could, could cope with. But that was quite a challenge to me at the time. But also, is it a case of, well, let's just pay all the bills and, well, if we've got a bit left, we'll put in a tithe and an offering? Well, in in Numbers, which chapter is it? Um, Numbers 18, it talks about bringing the first fruits, the tithe as a first fruit. And in that chapter, as I read it, it seems to me that it's both chronologically first and best first. So there's two meanings of the word first. And it seems that both of those are there. And so what my practice has always been, that I tithe gross. The first, as the money comes in, I give 10% of that and then the taxman gets their share and the, the, the gas board and the telephone bill and everything else. And that, I believe, is there's a scriptural basis for tithing gross at 10% at the very, at the very minimum. That is not always easy. I told you I would talk about this time when Chris and I were first in the States. We'd both of us been students for, for a very long time. I didn't have a job. We were going there simply on the, on the basis of her salary. And we had done our calculations about what we could afford. And then it turned out that there was some, uh, the way her money was coming to her was coming in a slightly different way than we expected. We, when, we had already signed up for, for an apartment, we, um, we needed a car, we couldn't afford a car, so we had a car loan. When I did the calculation, after rent, car loan and tithe, that's tithe gross, we were net negative. That's before food. That's before anything. So what do you do in a situation like that. What do you do when you're net negative before food? Well, after I panicked and after I spent the whole night praying because I couldn't sleep, 
I decided, we decided, that we would tithe and see what God would do. And he is faithful, and he is just, and he supplies all of our needs according to his riches in Jesus. Many of you have heard this story before, but actually what we hadn't realized is that Chris's salary had an increase, an annual increase for inflation, um, and that took us to, I think it was about 20 or $30 credit every month. And that's what we lived on until the car loan was paid off nine months later. And I can tell you, God was faithful. Every time when there was too much months at the end of the money, God supplied our needs. Not only did we have this entire apartment worth of furniture provided, we also got given by the church a sofa that was surplus to requirements by somebody in the church a desk so that, so that I could work. We got given money. Uh, we got given food. Our car battery died. We got that replaced. We were, the, we were paid for to go to a church weekend away. We got amazing provision and I may be wrong, but personally, I say that that's because I put God first with my money and, and then he was faithful and he supplied everything that I needed. It wasn't easy. We were um, a little bit stressed at times. We were sometimes a little bit um, snappy with each other because of the pressure, but actually he got us through that situation. So that's money. Let's now drill down a little bit further. Those of you who have been following um, e-news may realise that next week is our gift day. This actually did turn out to be coincidental when we were organising the, 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 the preaching topics, but or coincidental so-called. But it's very fitting that I'm preaching on money ahead of the gift day because as most of you know I do not have a salary from the church if, if Ian or Alan or Ali were preaching somehow there's a conflict of interest they're saying please give so that I can carry on eating I <coughs> he, Ian has no problem with that right but I don't receive a salary. I'm going to be encouraging you to be giving into the gift day. And that's not because I have no ulterior motive to do that at all. But also, we're not asking you to give so that the church can become rich and fat and, uh, and, and um, prosperous in that way. We're giving because we want to extend his kingdom and the way the world works is in order to extend the kingdom of God, you do need a bit of cash from time to time. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But I also want to say that while we're talking about God supplying our needs and us giving, I want to very clearly distinguish what I'm saying from what many of us know, know is called the prosperity gospel. I'm not saying you should give in order to become rich later on. I'm saying 
that we believe in the kingdom of God and extending the kingdom of God and seeing lives transformed, seeing, seeing communities transformed and seeing people brought into his family. And that takes money. And the, the, the money that I give in the gift day and in other things, that's not a, somehow a, a God's investment plan. Because this, this prosperity gospel, it's all about if you give, then you'll, then you'll get more. It's all about actually the end goal is the money for you. This is not where we're coming from at all. My end goal is I want to see countless people across this county, across this region, across this nation and across the world. I want to see them come to know Jesus. So what, are, what is this money that is go, we're going into the gift day? What is it going? There's lots of things. And Jenny is going to be very cross with me if I don't say that it, it, it goes to many aspects of church life. And the things I am saying are just examples. And, and it's not exclusive in any way. Right? She's nodding and smiling. That's good. Right? One of the, the things that is going to be, to be part of this this money is there's a unit across the road which when we first moved into this place we felt strongly that one day God was going to give us that place because this room would be far too small and as you look around it's pretty packed in here Uh, there are weeks when it has been more packed but it is pretty packed and and so a long time ago, we, we had a, a prophetic turf-cutting ceremony over there with a, with a nice shiny spade with Finney Philip, our friend in India, who we'll talk about again in a moment. And over the years, that day has come closer and closer. We've consistently been praying about it. About a year ago, Adam Finn, who is part of this church, but in the Chester Street congregation, he had a dream so Richard, can we, yeah, so he had a dream, and I'm going to read out the text, and John Renshaw painted some paintings to illustrate the dream, so that, that we can see, um, see that. He said, I saw three huge vats full of grain in front of the microchem building, that's the building across the way. The vats were so large that the width of the three covered the length of the microchem building, and they were as tall as the microchem building, so the building was completely covered by the vats. And there's John's picture. You can just see the building poking out round the side, the big, tall vats. At the bottom of each of the vats was a door, like the door on the front of a gritting box, and the doors were tight shut and locked. And I heard God say to me, Ask me, to open the doors. So I said, Lord, open the doors. Then I saw a man with a machine gun walk from the left to right, hitting each door in turn with the butt of the gun. And the grain flowed out of the vats into heaps in front of the now open doors. The vats themselves were still two-thirds to three-quarters full. And God spoke again and said, This grain is for the feeding of the nations. And Adam says, I believe that. The the vats cover the microchem building because the Lord is giving us this building. 
God is asking us to ask him to open the doors of his provision for the buildings. And he's telling us the purpose is for the feeding of the nations. In the year since Adam had that dream, we now have planning permission to convert that building. We have been in in conversations with the owner of the building. We have the offer from the bank of some money to put towards buying the building. And the solicitors are talking. This is, I believe, the prophetic dream being brought out into, into reality. Doesn't mean it's going to be plain sailing. There's still quite a bit of a financial shortfall before we can convert the building. So part of the gift day next week will be going towards the expenses for that. And what's the purpose? The purpose is for the feeding of the nations. We have prophetic word over this church that we are a kingdom resource centre. We saw that yesterday with the pastoral conference. We're going to see it in a couple of weeks' time with the Rising Tide conference. And in in the spring, we are going to be having another conference, a revival conference with Taiwo, who's coming specially back for that. And there have been many prophetic words to us about revival and about an increase in the numbers of people. And we as elders, when we were away during the summer, we were praying about this and we all feel stirred by God that we need more space because he's going to send us more people. And therefore we're trying to be good stewards and that's the reason why we're wanting to buy the building because we believe that we need the resource here so that we can affect men, women, boys, girls across this region and we will also be affecting the nations. So, just a little word there. We ha- some, some months ago, we asked for pledges for that. I believe that many of the pledges are in. If you haven't, if you pledged then and you haven't redeemed that pledge, if your circumstances have changed and you can't do that, that's fine, but please tell Jenny. And if you are yet to redeem that pledge, please tell Jenny. So, Jenny, could you stand up? Everybody knows who you are. There you are. She is our treasurer and she does a fantastic job. There are other aspects of church life that we're giving into with the gift day. And one of them is going to be that we are part of a family of churches called Regions Beyond. And every year, Regions Beyond uh, ask for contributions from their churches so that we can more directly affect the, 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 uh, the mission around the world. In a few moments, we're going to see a video, so that's your cue to get it, get it up, Richard. But before, first, I want to go back to that, that uh, verse in Philippians chapter 4 that I read earlier on. And I want to put it into context, because that context is very, very similar to the context of the video we're about to see. This is Philippians 4, 10 to 19. I rejoice greatly in the Lord, now at length you've re- revived your concern for me. 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no, no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learnt in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. You Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The church in Philippi was in a global partnership, or then global because the known world was much smaller in those days, in a global partnership with Paul to see the gospel go to the nations. And that needed financial resources, and those financial resources went from the church in Philippi out to Paul. And, um, and so that was, that's exactly what we're doing. Now, I always find when I read that, it always, Paul always sounds a little bit grudging there. Um, maybe it's just the way the, the English words are translated, but actually it's a very hard thing to write to say, actually, thank you very much for the gift. I'm not looking for the gift. I'm actually looking for the increase of the gospel. So let's see if Steve Oliver can do better than Paul on on putting that sentiment across. Richard.